If you could go back in time and give yourself one sage piece of advice, what would it be? I'm Sam East, and this is Lessons to My Younger Self, the podcast. Friendship as an adult is rough. Well, it can be. At the very least, it probably looks a lot different than the friendships you had as a kid or a teen or even in your 20s. But navigating friendship and the inevitable ups and downs that come with it isn't a process that's normalized. And that's why you may have never heard of a thing called a friendship coach or expert. Swap out friendship for relationship and you're familiar, right? But a person who specializes in the art of cultivating and maintaining friendships? It's relatively unchartered territory that Danielle Byer Jackson tackles on the regular. She focuses primarily on female friendship by conducting her own surveys, research-based strategies, and teaching women how to have better platonic relationships. Her analysis and tips are so helpful and relatable. Any adult can relate to the topics Danielle regularly covers. If we can prioritize work and family and intimate relationships, why can't we say the same for the platonic ones? Danielle is a busy, multi-hyphenate mom, entrepreneur, publicist, and educator on top of being a friendship coach, but she was able to carve out some time for us. We cover a lot of ground in this short conversation. So let's get right into friendship. As a friendship coach, you're focusing primarily on female platonic relationships. So what are the most common friendship issues that you help people through? Hands down, number one would be, how do I make friends? A hundred percent. That's like my bread and butter. Um, But it often comes with some kind of qualifier. So it's always, how do I make friends as a mom? How do I make friends as a woman in a new city? How do I make friends as an introvert is a big one. And so I hope that that shows us that we'll always have to be making friends. You'll you'll always have to do it for new seasons in your life. So number one is how to make friends. Um, Number two would probably be about, um, how do I get more satisfaction? in my existing friendships. So a lot of women will tell me, oh, no, 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 I have friends. But, you know, I don't feel connected to any of them. And, you know, that's the whole point is we want to help you build quality, meaningful friendships. Another one uh, might be, um, I feel like I'm the one who's always initiating. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Feeling like you are more invested, right, than your friends. And then finally, you know, anything surrounding friendship breakups and and rekindling friendships and trying to reconcile and and that whole thing. So those would probably be like the top four situations that women bring to me. And in building new friendships as an adult, it's so tricky. And I'm I'm speaking a lot from personal experience here because compared to when you're younger, there's routine, there's convenience, there's there's similar activities, right? Bringing you and your friends together on a regular basis. Just a lot more opportunities to start and, and build those friendships. But as an adult, let's say you're at a, a new job and you see a friend group that you think you might jive with. This can be really awkward for some of us, right? How do you make those first steps? How do you kind of infiltrate the friend group. First thing is to like remove any shame or embarrassment you have around having to do it. So a lot of mm. us believe like, oh, I'm, I am a grown person. I should not be struggling with this. And we have to remove that. 
yes, you're struggling. Everyone's out here struggling and trying to figure it out. So, so there's like a baseline there. Um, if you see people at work and you think to yourself, oh, they look really cool. I'd love to be a part of that. There are a couple things to keep in mind. One, don't believe the lie that the group is closed. So sometimes mm. we'll talk ourselves out of it by saying, oh, they've, they've already got their group. I, I guess I'll look elsewhere. Okay. A lot of people are open to more connections. So don't send yourself that self-generated message. There's room for you. Okay. Unless they tell you otherwise, then, you know, um, the second <laughs> thing would be to try to build relationships with each individual person as opposed to the collective group. So instead of trying to get in and now you're trying to get cool with 10 people at one time, people tend to show their more of their real selves one-on-one. That's where relationships happen. So try to build a little rapport with each person individually. So maybe you you know are working on a project with one person and then you catch another person in the parking lot on the way out and then they'll slowly gradually bring you into the fold of the entire group. But you can achieve it by approaching it by individual. And then finally, try not to expedite the process of being close with them by acting over familiar. I've seen some people who want to be in a group very badly. So they're already acting like they're on the, in, uh, they're in on the inside jokes. They're, they're doing too much too soon because they're so hungry for community, which I understand. Mm-hmm. But remember that, you know, getting close to people, it's a gradual, natural, healthy progression of sharing and getting comfortable. And so those are some tips. If you see a group you'd like to be a part of, but you want to take things slow and do it the right way, those are some tips to keep in mind. It must be obvious to you with the clients of yours that you coach that friendship looks a lot different with the social distancing that everyone's had to endure, kind of coming back to normalcy. It's obvious that friendships have taken a hit for a lot of people over the last couple of years. So what are some parameters for maintaining a friendship in light of everything that's going on in the world right now? Yeah, yeah. It's so hard, right? Because you've got to consider a lot of things you didn't have to consider before. Physical comfort, right? Mm. Um, there's a lot of tension right now around political views and values and masking and vaccine and mm-hmm. and and we're very, very, you know, divided. And so there are a lot of things to keep in mind right now. Um, if you're trying to make friends during a pandemic, I, I see a lot of people in the TikTok comments and things like that who are griping about it's impossible. Like it's just impossible. And that's not true because I've seen it happen several times over the past two years. And so we just have to get creative and we've never had to be strategic before. It just happened to your point earlier about how it seems so easier when you were younger. And that's because, um, you know, we had a social backdrop that was provided for us. We had mm-hmm. these institutions where we just had to show up and we're in a room full of our peers and mm-hmm. we're doing the same thing at the same time. We're in the same stage of life. We're all trying to graduate. And so, yeah, it did seem a little bit easier. Now for the first time, we have to make those opportunities happen ourselves and no one taught us how to do that. So we mm-hmm. assume it should just be happening. If you're trying to make a friend during a pandemic, you know, virtually, make sure that if you're like in a virtual work meeting or something like that, you pay special attention to when somebody shares a good idea or they ask an intriguing question or or they make a funny comment. And then you want to follow up with them afterwards one-on-one and say, oh my gosh, thank you for asking that question in the meeting. I wanted to ask, but I didn't have the courage. So I appreciate you. That's it. But I'm trying to signal to you that I would like to entertain you as more than just my distant colleague. And I want to take you out of the busy town square of, you know, the, the meeting and the chatter and our coworkers and just get you one-on-one and, and we can hear each other. And I'm just showing you I'm interested. And that's a low risk way to kind of 
see if there's possibility there. Um, there are a lot of these these online interest groups. I know sometimes people roll their eyes because they're like, yes, yes, I know, join an interest group. Um, but the mistake we make there is we'll show up one time and then we'll say, ah, I didn't find my people. That wasn't mm-hmm. my vibe. And it's too premature. So I like you to commit to going two to three times because you engage differently when you know you're coming back. Um, And then also when it comes to seeing people in person, integrate routine into your day or week as much as you can because we're creatures of habit. So if you walk your dog every day, try to do it during the same time each day. If you go to a coffee shop to write or study, try to do it in the same day at the same time because you're likely to see the same people who are doing the same thing. It breeds familiarity. So by the time you do say, oh, hey, what's up? Or you make a comment or you compliment their dress, it doesn't seem so weird because they've seen you like four or five times. They've seen your face. And so, you know, integrating routine, taking advantage of seemingly mundane work meetings online and making yourself repeatedly go to different interest groups. These are a couple things we can do to try to to create friendships during the pandemic. Another thing too that I'm wondering is you were really talking about the strategy because it does take work. I think because like we've chatted about already, when you're younger, it all sort of falls into place, your social life. But as you get older, it it does take effort. I'm wondering, is it as an adult, do we need to really come to terms with the fact that we might not be able to cultivate the exact same friendships that we had, you know, growing up, maybe you have that one lifelong friend. And I know on a personal level, making uh, friends as an adult, I'm always kind of constantly chasing that same close dynamic. And I I have a hard time accepting like, you might not, you've known that person for 25 years, you're not going to have the same dynamic, especially off the skip. Yeah, so good. I love that question, Sam, because I think it holds a lot of us back comparing to what we had before, or we're discouraging ourselves before we even jump in and explore all that this new friendship could be. We tell ourselves Mm. things like, ah, well, I'm never going to find anybody who gets me how how Tiffany got me. You know, like I'm Mm -hmm. never going to have what I used to have. Like you can't duplicate that. And you're right. You can't. But why is that a bad thing? Like, no, you cannot duplicate that. So how can we approach new situations with a, with a spirit of curiosity? Like, okay, let's see what this can be and not set that person up for, for failure by holding them to the standard of your last friendship. I mean, if somebody was doing that to you, it would be really discouraging. Like, okay, there's no way I can live up to your friend from eighth grade. So why do we do that to other people? Let them show you who they are and and explore the possibilities of what this new friendship could look like. And it may satisfy you in, in totally different ways. You just got to remain open to that. Yes. And, and the other side of it too is as wonderful as it is to to be lucky enough to have that lifelong friend who really gets your soul <laughs> It can be limiting on on the other side of the spectrum because they might only see you as, you know, the the girl from eighth grade, right? I've noticed that's an observation of mine, not just in my own friend circles, but you can be limited by the sort of idea that someone has of you from the past. Yeah, totally. Um, One of my favorite shows is Insecure on HBO. And I love it so much because I feel like it was the first time I've seen the nuance of, of, of friendship tensions uh, portrayed um, in the media. And the reason I bring that up is because when the two main characters, Issa and Molly, had a big you know, conflict in one of the later seasons, it's because they had been friends for so long that when each of them started to evolve in their personal lives with their respective careers and relationships, the other one kept reminding them of how they used to be. And they didn't believe that they could 
grow, change because they're like, girl, you're going to try to be with this new guy. Okay. You know how you are. It's only going to last a week. And it's discouraging because now you actually want to take relationships seriously and you don't want to you know, date a lot of people, but your friend won't let you do that because she can't embrace the idea of the new you. So to your point, you know, there are advantages sometimes and disadvantages of having friends we've had for so long because what's key is having somebody who allows you to evolve because you inevitably will, but do you have somebody who can support the new version of you? That's what's most important. That's so good. That is so good. I'm curious also to know what you think of having tiers, levels of friendship. Because again, going back to when you're younger, this idea of best friendship is kind of shoved down our throats. You got the best friend necklaces and on TV and in movies, it's having your partner in crime. But you so interestingly talk about not having shame in not having a best friend. So can a sort of tiered approach to friendship work for people? A recent survey conducted in the summer of 2021 um, found that 40% of people say that they do not have a best friend. But for Mm. some reason, there's a little embarrassment around that, especially for women, because to your point, that's a part of our language from when we're little is best Mm -hmm. friends forever. And who's your bestie? You know, so, (laughs) so there is a little embarrassment to say, well, I don't have one. And you start to think, well, what's, what's wrong with me? What am I not doing right? And so um, a lot of people are in the same boat. So when it comes to having different tiers of friends. Can we get what we need from the collective? So when you look around and you put your head on a swivel and you look at your the friends in your network, are you getting challenged? Are you getting pleasure and laughter? Are you feeling seen? Can you be mm-hmm. vulnerable in your life with your network? Why does it all have to come from one person? Now, mm. if you do have one person in your life who satisfies a range of needs, I mean, that's beautiful. That's great. But in terms of feeling like you are lacking something because you don't have that, well, are mm. you getting all those things in general from the collective of people in your life? That's what's most important. Comparing to romantic, intimate relationships, there can be imbalances in both in any relationship. What happens when you don't see eye to eye with how much of a role your friend should play in your life? Meaning, for example, the friend holds you to that so-called best friend status and you don't or vice versa. Yeah. I I love that you're asking that because we don't talk about that enough. I wonder if it's because it kind of like blows up the the ideal uh, picture of best friends and friendship should be equal. Like all this language about everybody should be equal and like each other perfectly the same. You know, that's the ideal. But in reality, it is not like that. Um, That is a fantasy, but I don't think it makes us very uncomfortable to sit in what that means for us. And so, for example, it's very possible that, you know, you are seen as a level nine to a friend in your life, but she's kind of like a level four to you. And I'm giving kind of like arbitrary numbers here, but, mm-hmm. you know, research does find that only half of our friendships are reciprocal, meaning like perfectly, wow. perfectly even, like we see each other as a, as a 10 in our lives. And mm-hmm. so that can either be something that's discouraging for you or mm-hmm. liberating. You know, if, if I see somebody as high up in my life and they only see me as a three, but I'm still satisfied with what they're giving me and when we get together, it's a good time, then why Mm. obsess over whether or not they have other friends they're closer to? Am I getting satisfied? And and Mm. do we have positive experiences together? Can we be open with each other? Um, It's kind of like 
back in the day with MySpace, uh, you know, you would like rate your top friends. But yeah. was it discouraging to see that they had you as a as a as their number six and you had them as your number two? What does that mean? You know? And so um, I know it's easier said than done, but we sometimes feel differently about each other and still call each other friends. And we have to find a way to to accept that. Again, comparing our platonic relationships to the intimate ones. Why is there expected conflict resolution between yourself and an intimate partner, let's say, and not as much with you and a friend? I mean, there can be, depending on the dynamic of the friendship, a real passive aggression that can build between friends and it just gets murky and awkward. Again, I wonder how much of this is is cultural and how much we're conditioned. I mean, you see books about how to repair your relationship mm-hmm. and how to strengthen your marriage. And we have marriage counselors. Like it's totally normal to go to a counselor with your boo and be like, we got to work this out and to have conversations and to be like, babe, we need to talk. I mean, that stuff is so normal. It's expected. We know to anticipate that. But we have this um, um, expectation of friendship to be recreational and fun and to be what we go to to have a good time. Yeah. And to escape. That's right. And Mm -hmm. so if I see you as my escape, then I don't anticipate any hardship. I don't know what to do when there are bumps. We are not supposed to have bumps because we're friends and friends have fun. And um, that's just, it's simply not true. You know, I, I know I say research says a lot, so let me geek out for a second. But, you know, research does tell us that um, they, they took this survey of women and they asked them, do you expect, you know, making friends and friendship to be easy or hard? And mm. they followed those women over five years. The women who said that they expect that friendship should be easy were reporting greater feelings of loneliness than the women who said, oh, you probably have to work at it. So if that's the case and we expect to be in a friendship and we expect it to be easy, then we are totally ill-equipped and unprepared when there is conflict. But there is conflict whenever you bring two flawed humans together. There's Because we have different needs. We have sometimes competing needs. Mm -hmm. We got to talk through things. I mean, something as simple as trying to figure out, you know, where to go to dinner. I mean, like for like a level one conflict and we're going back and forth. That's conflict. There's a little tension, but how do we resolve it? Um, And so I think a lot of us are are having friendships that end prematurely because we are not equipped to handle conflict. And then it manifests in the ways that you just said about, you know, then there's passive aggression or we ghost each other. Or, or we we blow up because we've been holding in resentment for so long and all of it's because we have not normalized telling a friend, girl, what you did yesterday was not cool. Can we talk mm. about that? Yes. And moving on when it's done, just picking up and, and continuing on like you would with, with a boyfriend. You know, it's not mm. the end of the world. And so I think until we kind of normalize having some tension and knowing how to deal with it and move forward, I think we're going to um, uh, miss out on, on what could be a lot of good, healthy long-term friendships. The other side of the spectrum and and something you said you cover a lot with your clients, I think it needs to be talked about more. Just like in any relationship in your life, they may come to an end, whether that be through a natural sort of fizzling out or there's a confrontation. When do you know that it's time to break up with someone? Are there key indicators? You know, it's funny because I've noticed that these days we see all these articles that are like 10 signs you should let someone go or three (laughs) signs. You know, like we want our our nice and neat bullet points. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so I I wish I can give you that. Everyone's different Mm -hmm. um, and have different uh, expectations and, and capacity for things you'll tolerate or whatever it is. However, there are some telltale signs that may 
maybe it could be time to release someone. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are not negative. Some are just that if you have lost interest, if you find that it takes a lot of work for you to maintain a conversation, you find that you're not really interested in like the developments and updates in their life. And it feels like it takes a lot of like effort to keep it going. That could be a sign that it's, that it's, it's run its course, or it could be a sign that it's time to kind of uh, spice things up. Like the, in your romantic relationship, things get dull. It doesn't mean it's over. Maybe you need to take some effort to switch things up a little bit. Maybe you guys have been running on autopilot. So if you find that you are losing interest in general and you're not uh, intrigued by or invested in the friendship anymore, maybe it's run its course. Um, Some more negative explicit signs would be if you find that um, you have a friend who is lying, they're manipulative. You find that you can't bring your full self to the table because you don't know if you're going to be like shamed or embarrassed or criticized for your opinions and your choices, things like that. You find that you're diluting and hiding certain aspects of yourself in order to to keep things status quo, that that's not okay. Um, If you find that someone's manipulating you or um, embarrasses you in public, I mean, some of them will be kind of more obvious things. Um, Or if someone is kind of like pushing boundaries that you have articulated and they show no sign of wanting to do better. So let's say I tell a girlfriend, you know, hey, you know, every time you do this thing, it makes me feel kind of weird. Like I, I just don't like it. She has a choice. She can either accommodate it because she wants to love me well, or she can say like, I can't honor that. But if she does that offense like six more times and is showing she's not even trying to do better, I'm not going to vilify her. She's not a bad person, but this is not going to work because my needs aren't met here. It's that simple. And so, you know, take a look at, does this person meet your needs? Do you guys show up for each other? Is it adding value to your life? And if not, then maybe revisit um, whether or not you should maintain that friendship. We have so many questions to get to from listeners. Uh, This one's from Laura who said, I've had a solid group of seven girlfriends since I was about 12 years old. We're all in our thirties and naturally we have different priorities in life. Some have kids, some are single, still live with their parents, some fall somewhere in between. How do we navigate our changing priorities while maintaining the friendships without the feelings of guilt or resentment? Mm, mm, mm. Well, <laughs> well. Um, first of all, that's beautiful to have a friend group that you you know have, have been with for so long is really cool. From being you know twelve or whatever she said to now, that's. Yes, a huge, a huge change. And so many things have inevitably happened, I'm sure, to shape you into different people, maybe. One big thing, and it's very unsexy, is to get it on the calendar. And sometimes we want more like revolutionary hacks. We want something new. We're like, oh my God, put it on the calendar. (laughs) Yes. Yes. yes, because if some of them have kids or boyfriends where they're very ambitious and career focused, mm-hmm. we tend to push friendship in the margins of our lives and like, you know, I'll get to that when I have time for it. And so it's never going to happen unless we prioritize it on our calendar like we would anything else. Mm-hmm. Meetings, dates, that's going on the calendar. Why not? Oh, you know, I can't hang out on Friday because I'm seeing my girls on Friday. That's just what we do. Um, the second thing would be to try to find ways to layer the time that you do have. So again, it's not very, you know, sexy and shiny, but if you do laundry every Sunday evening, can that be something where while you're doing your laundry, you guys, you know, catch up on the phone or you all agree to watch a new Netflix show that just dropped and then you'll get on the phone or Zoom Um that weekend and you all talk about it, but you have to get creative. You have to get intentional at your calendar to keep you guys in touch and to keep the friendship strong. Otherwise, unfortunately, yeah, you will see people start to kind of fade away. 
This one's from Ella. When you're getting to know a new friend, how can you tell if you're incompatible or you just don't know them well enough yet? Oh my gosh. Okay. So in my group coaching program, we just talked about this last night. I had a client who was saying, I met this girl. She seems nice enough, but I just, I just don't know. And she had all these questions about what it might be. And she was projecting so far in the future. And it's just like, why can we not just like be present Mm. and settle into getting curious about her because we we tend to take a lot we try to make a lot of meaning out of first impressions and we want to know what this says if it's worth going forward if this is going to work out or not it was the first time and unless there's some kind of glaring issue something that they said and it was just like huge red flag stay curious about them. If she seemed nice enough, that's enough to build friendship on. If you all had a generally pleasurable experience together, that is enough to keep moving forward. Now, if you find that, you know, there are some values that emerge and you're like, there's no way this can work. That's something else. But I would suggest that she stay curious and stop trying to protect herself, what it sounds like to me, by trying to get a bunch of clues up front that it's not going to work because that's just the risk that you take in, in the building of any relationship. From Julia, she says, how do you get over a breakup with a bestie? I went through it at 18. I'm still dealing with it years later. Oh gosh. Oh, I feel for her because I I know from experience how hard that can be. And so many women bring that to the table and it unknowingly impacts a lot of subsequent friendships. Um, If you're trying to move forward, a couple of things. One, I would say, try to start speaking in present tense. We use a lot of past tense language when describing friendship breakups. So, or use past tense language. So a lot of us tend to reminisce. We stay back in the past. We wonder what if we're like, oh yeah, I don't know what happened between us. We stay there instead of getting to a place of acceptance and saying like, yeah, we were friends, but you know, I'm so grateful for the time that we had together. I really needed her in my life during that season. I'm glad I had her. So finding a a place of gratitude. It research says that if you can find lessons from the experience you had, that you're less likely to be bitter moving forward. So can you identify like one to two things that you're grateful for, even if you're not really feeling it emotionally? Can you just technically identify one to two things that you're grateful for? That'll help you to move forward. Then can you change your routine? Are you still doing things now that you did with your friend in the past? Because if so, it only highlights her absence. If we used to go to yoga every Friday and I'm still going to yoga every Friday, then it emphasizes how she's not there. Can I invite new connections into my life? Can I take up new hobbies to make room for new experiences so there's not such a gaping hole where she used to be? Um, And then if there's anything that's keeping me stuck, a lot of times we didn't have closure. I'm not sure how this friendship ended, but, you know, I know it sounds cheesy, but it works or I wouldn't suggest it. You know, can you, you know, write out a letter and maybe you don't send it, but what are the things you would say if you had a chance. A lot of us are sitting on that and it's hard to move forward because we're like, man, if only I could say this, if only I had a chance to say this, well, well, why not get that out? Why not express that? And if you don't feel like it's appropriate to send, then don't send, but at least get it out and let your brain have the experience of, of saying it and experiencing it to try to move forward. And then, um, and then moving forward, kind of how we talked about before, try not to compare future friendships to that friendship and give each friendship its, its own new clean slate. We're going to we're going to wrap things up here with the rapid fire that we do with every guest and you could say the first thing that comes to your mind doesn't have to be one word but the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear these words or phrases. A good friend is as happy for your success as you are happy for your success. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yep. Yep. A best friend is a best friend is Somebody with whom you have an unspoken language. 
Mm, that's deep. That's deep. The hardest part about friendship. Mm. The hardest part about friendship is that it makes you have to deal with your own stuff if you want to be a good friend. Red flags in friendships. Oh, gosh. Um, gossiping on the first friend date. Um, um, not following through with what you said that you were going to do. Um, and then maybe talking poorly of every other friend that you've that you've had. And finally, what I wish I knew when I was younger about friendship. I wish that I knew that quality friendships are directly tied to our mental, physical, and emotional health. And it's not just about trying to build a squad. It's about building good relationships that that are good for, for your life. And there's too much research that suggests that it's literally connected to how you feel, your mind, all of that to have good friendships. And I wish it took it more seriously when I was younger instead of being what is now called, you know, a mean girl um, mm. and taking for granted how important uh, friendship is. Thank you, Danielle. <laughs> Thank you. This is really good. This was, my brain is buzzing with all of the information that you just tackled in that, in such a short amount of time. That was amazing. Thank you. Go follow Danielle Byer Jackson. On TikTok, she goes by The Friendship Expert. Danielle's regularly putting out content to help you navigate your platonic relationships. And if you want to go even deeper, check out betterfemalefriendships.com to join the Friend Forward community. This episode closed out season two of the Lessons to My Younger Self podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. It is an honor to be a part of your day in any way. And it's my hope that these conversations have helped inspire some reflection and introspection on your end. If you have any questions or feedback, please send it over at info at sameast.ca. A big thank you to the Lessons to My Younger Self team Technical producer, Chris Lewis. Sound designer extraordinaire, Adam Ketchcometti. It honestly takes a village to pull this thing off. Season three is in production at the moment and things might sound a little different, but I hope you'll come along for the ride. I'm going to keep it very vague. Cliffhanger. Please subscribe, like, or follow wherever you get your pods. I'm Sam East. See you next season.